Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. is up wizards fans welcome to another believe in wish podcast i'm matt moderno howdy uh, and i have not been able to sync up this week he's been doing some traveling and, and stuff with uh, his kids who are up and coming young basketball stars themselves and uh we'll, we'll get back on a, a more regular cadence here filling in today i've got osman bag of bolts forever oz wrote a really good article uh for bolts forever if you haven't checked it out it was a interview with robert flom of 213 hoops who covers the los angeles clippers and was able to provide a little bit more insight into uh, exactly what to expect from Michael Winger. So that's what Oz and I are going to talk about here today. And then in the second half of the episode, we're going to get into uh, the Matt Moderno big board 1.0 and go through kind of where I'm at with some of these prospects and and talk through it. Uh, as always, we're brought to you by Stateside Vodka and their Surfside Hard Iced Teas, Hard Lemonades, Hard Half and Halves, Hard Peach Teas. They're, they're all delicious. You can't go wrong either way. And, and I will be cracking one of these later this afternoon, probably. Um, and also brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup info, matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season and has you covered for all of your insider wagering needs NBA, MLB, NHL, golf, UFC, boxing, all of it. They've got you covered. It's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino games available to play right from your home. Get in on the action today. Head over to the website. And use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, with that, you know the drill. Let's bring in Oz and, and get this going. All right, I'm pleased to bring on Osman Big. Oz, thanks for joining me here, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to good convo and more Michael Winger talk is always a good thing at this point. Absolutely. I think the last time I was on, was that when Shepard was let go? So, yep. yeah, it's good to be back, you know? You know? Good news. Uh, yeah, this Good news. Summer's here, weather's getting better, you know, got a little tan last weekend. So, you know, feeling you go. good. Let's talk. Uh, you did a really good piece for Bolts Forever, and I'm going to put it in the episode description here. So if you're listening to this, you have the link uh, right at your fingertips. But uh, I encourage everybody to check it out because I think it was really good. You interviewed Robert Flom of 213 Hoops. He covers the Clippers. And I guess just how did you get the idea to do that? How did this kind of come together? And And then we can talk a little bit about some things from the piece that stood out specifically. So Robert is someone that I followed on Twitter and mm -hmm. on social media for a while. I think he was uh, with a different site at first, but it has really been a long time kind of just, just having on and off discussions with him. Mm -hmm. He was actually, and he kind of became a, I wouldn't say necessarily a Wizards fan, but he really started following the Wizards uh, during the John Wall era. Mm, okay. So, uh, and he just took an interest in the team. So I thought one, I, I had spoken to him before. I'd spoken to him after we had traded for Jerome Robinson and the conversation was really good because it's not like he gave me kind of the, Oh, Hey, you got this young guy. He might turn out great. Yada, yada, yada. He, he basically laid it out. He's like, it's probably not going to work, yeah. you know? And look, he was accurate. Like it's like he, he was spot on about the player. So I thought, okay, let me go back to him. Um, he knows he has a good feel for what our fan base 
mood is, mm-hmm. what kind of the overall tenor, the fatalistic like nature of Wizards fandom. He Just mentioned being, being not the optimist, most optimistic person in Clippers fandom. And I was like, this is the perfect guy to talk to for Wizards fans. Exactly. So it's like he's a Clippers guy who knows what Winger's done there, but he also has the same mentality as a lot of Wizards fans. And he kind of knows how we are and he knows what we've been through. Yep. It's not like anything that's gone on with the Wizards is totally, he's totally oblivious to it. He, he is aware. So I thought he'd be a great guy to speak to. So we to kind of went back and forth, had a few questions. He was asked, and like the conversation just went from there and it was good. I think he gave a really good, uh, uh, it's kind of just, we don't know what Michael Winger is going to do yet, but I thought he gave a good idea of hints on what we could take from his, his tenor over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's some really interesting nuggets throughout here, and I, I pulled a couple of them, and if there are others that stood out to you that I, I don't touch, like definitely bring them up as we go. I, I think mm-hmm. since the last time I've talked Winger on the podcast, I, I have a friend that works for the Clippers, and I just said like, hey, like, what's the deal with Winger? Like, should we like him? You know, how do we feel about this? And and he said, to be honest, I don't never really understood specifically what he did here, like what his role was specifically or what his, um, you know, kind of key responsibilities were. But he said, you know, everybody thinks highly of him and he's well-liked. And and that sort of seems to be the consensus takeaway of like, well, we can't really narrow down exactly what he was the main guy for in the Clippers front office. office. And, and I think that's some of what, you know, Robert intimated here too, is that the Clippers kind of kept a close to the vest, but it did seem to be like sort of group decision-making and things like that. So he was involved in a lot and maybe not the guy for draft or the guy for trades or, you know, any sort of one area. It doesn't seem like they operate in that. They operate kind of like you said, in a collaborative. Now there's ultimately one guy like Lawrence Frank probably makes the call with ownership, kind Mm -hmm. of ownership direction, direction as well, but it looks like they're all involved. And, um, his, I think the the one thing that we've definitely picked up on Winger is that he's viewed viewed as like a CBA specialist, a cap specialist. Like you know, that's kind of where his specialty is. Obviously, that can't be it. But given kind of where we are financially at, with this team in terms of some of the contracts yeah, on the books coming up, it's <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not a bad it's not a bad skill set to bring to the table. But again, yeah, yeah but the it sounds like his role obviously was beyond that. I doubt it would be that specific. And like you said the the reviews are kind of like the feedback on him have been has been positive all around mm-hmm. it's a little different than and this is not to say anything like there, there were positive reviews when Tommy Shepard got the job yeah, it was sure. like oh everyone but it was more everyone likes the guy right not like they like what he does they like the guy and I think that's what the difference was there I don't know if there was as much optimism about what he would do on the job um but the the word was like hey he has great relationships people like the guy this Michael Winger it is funny. You only see the same one or two pictures out there. It's weird. We it's really we weird. haven't seen an introductory press conference yet. Um, I know my buddy Road Chaser is like having going like, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> but um, look, the deal's done. He's going to be here. Like, look, it takes a while to, to move move your family. But um, it is going to be interesting to kind of uh, when they do their introductory presser, see what kind of some of his answers are. And then I think that'll give you hints in terms of what he what the extent of his role was but i wouldn't be surprised if that same kind of collaborative effort trans like you know transfers over here the same person i talked to with the clippers one of my first questions was is michael winger actually a real person or is he like an avatar <laughs> for chat gpt or something like like you know decision making by ai but 
Uh, that is weird to me that like people just like, sort of like didn't know what he looked like. And there's these same two stock photos. Like, if, <laughs> And for behind the scenes a little bit for us on the Bullets Forever side, like if you go into our system, you know, there's all the access to Getty photos or USA Today's NBA photos. And, and you have this huge library stuff. If you put in Tommy Shepard or even Ernie Grunfeld, you get hundreds of results. And when I put in Michael Winger, there were literally those two stock photos. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and one of them is the one you get every time you Google with the blue background. I picked right. one that was like 15 years older than that, presumably. Like, I think he was like with the calves still, and he looks like, you know, a young man, like presumably, but <laughs> uh, just to have well, like one different photo that's out there in circulation. So uh, he's sort of a mystery guy. And I kind of like that, to be honest. Yeah, I like it. I mean, look, it's kind of funny. We're making kind of a little fun of it, but like, I've, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's good. It's, I don't need like someone publicly saying, we're going to do this. We're going to do yeah. that. Um, <laughs> just because Michael Winger may be moving from the West coast to the East coast. Do I think he's not paying attention to what's happening with the draft? No, I'll say yeah, exactly. everyone, you know, uh, he's, uh, yeah, I, this is as optimistic as I've been about the, this franchise in a long time. <laughs> I, I want to give him a ton of latitude. I, t- I will yeah. tell you though. Every day that goes by and Orlando is bringing in Nick Smith Jr. for a workout and Oklahoma City is bringing in Jairus Walker. Like, yeah, and we we don't even have like the sort of local guys. I I am getting a little twitchy. Like, I I can't lie. And if it goes another week and we haven't heard about one workout, I I will be (laughs) I will be sweating. (laughs) We got some time. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I I hear you. If it goes on and we're in the middle of June and we still don't hear about it, you're kind of like, uh. Right now, still early June, still yep. okay. The combine happened, just happened, so it's all good. I do wonder, and maybe this is a follow-up question I'll have for Robert, maybe I'll reach out to him, is how public was LA about their pre-draft workouts? Mm. It seems like some teams are, some teams are not. You always find out about those second private workouts after the drafts. Sure. So it, it, it's a question I'll ask him, and hopefully I get some intel, and if I do, I'll share it with, the, share it with everyone. Yeah, that'd, that'd be great. I think uh, my buddies over at the Upside Swings podcast, they've updated their Upside Swings website. Encourage, encourage everybody to check it out if, if they're looking for more draft content. But they have been posting a workout tracker for all publicly made availables from teams. Wow. Okay. I, I would say like 25 of the 30 teams at least have a half dozen names that they've publicly um, put out that, that they're um, working out. So it's like, I can't even think of who the other teams were, but you scroll all the way down in the bottom of the Eastern <laughs> Conference to get to the Wizards, and it just says NA. It's like awesome. Yep. This is this is yeah. good. Everything is fine. <laughs> um, just just circling back on something uh, you said about the the winger piece here, and made some moves around the margins, and and Robert mentioned specifically like the pickup of Rodney Magruder, which I actually really liked at the time, and he's sort of like fallen off a cliff since then. But mm-hmm. trading for Mo Harkless, like those weren't names that were like you know, earth shattering moves at the time, but they were like key fringe, you know, additions for them to flesh out the rest of a roster. And I would say consistently the Clippers have had one of the deeper teams in the NBA the last couple of years. Like there were plenty of guys, like some of them didn't work out as well, but, but they were smart about trying to add guys that presumably could contribute and they've had all the injury stuff. And, and again, I, I don't think you can judge people totally by, the success after a move, it doesn't mean that they weren't good moves. So like, I, I thought bringing in, you know, Reggie Jackson for them and things like yeah. that were, were, were good additions and moving on from Luke Kennard when they did not a bad idea. So 
if he can do those kind of like smart around the fringes things here, uh, I think that's exactly what this team needs, just given the cap constraints, especially if you bring back Porzingis and Kuzma. Yeah, um, I guess, so we could get to the Porzingis Kuzma thing in a bit, but I think what you're you're spot on there, and I'm glad you brought up like a Reggie Jackson. Um, Tommy Shepard was also kind of praised for some of the margin moves, but those margin moves I thought were a little different. It's kind of like they were in a quasi rebuild retool, trying yeah. to fit around Beal early, and so they went out for young players who were not established, thinking that basically collecting everybody from the Troy Brown draft. What, what year was that? Twenty eighteen. Yeah, were, exactly. Were, were it was all the dudes he loved. Jerome Robinson. <laughs> um, oh, my God. The guy who did the TikTok on the way out to the game. Chandler Hutchison, yeah, baby. Chandler Hutchison. That's right. That's right. So it was basically like everyone who was on their draft board in that draft who had washed out at another organization got a chance over here. That was like it the was one time of, Tommy hit the road to do draft evals or something. <laughs> he must have just been like, you know what? Why why do 2019 and 2020 when we can just retread all the same guys? He really here? loved that 2018 draft. Um, so this is a little different where more Harkless, more Harkless is a known, like yeah. he's, you know what you're getting, you're getting a defensive wing, mm-hmm. you're getting someone with size who could, who could really guard multiple, who could guard multiple positions. You're not worried about his defense. Now the shot is always, has always been kind of yeah, the question sure. there. Reggie Nick, Jackson Nick Batum, is no, Nick Batum is another one in that, like took maybe. a flyer on him and he's turned out well. So they've yeah. taken flyers on more vets yeah. like a Reggie Jackson trying to rehab them. Mm. And then when they've done well, it's paid off. Well, like Reggie Jackson had a really strong season, not this past season, but two seasons ago. Right. Um, Nick Batum has kind of established himself as part of the rotation there. He tried something similar with John Wall. I mean, not, mm. I'm not saying Michael Winger, but their front sure. office tried something similar with John Wall. It just did not work out. So sometimes it works just like anywhere else. Sometimes things mm. work. Sometimes they don't. You're not going to hit out bat a bat hundred or a thousand. Yeah. You're not going to bat a thousand or hit a hundred percent of your shots, but they're taking shots. Their shots are more players that could actually play right away versus kind of like speculative ads. Maybe they hit catch lightning in a bottle, you know, mm-hmm. which we did not in the 20 with any of those guys from the 2018 draft. <laughs> I'm still a Mo Wagner truther. So uh, <laughs> if Mo ended up as our third big next year, I, I wouldn't hate it. I'm just saying. <laughs> Uh, so it's been, yeah, I, I, you know, I kind of like that they did that and I like how they've approached that. And I think you could probably take some hints from that in terms of what we might see over here. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, looking at the guys they added, they were mostly dudes that like either fell out of rotation or had some injury stuff. And hopefully, you know, they did the vetting to see that they were healthy again, but they weren't like a lot of this guy is now 37 years old. Like their vet additions weren't Taj Gibson. They were guys right. that presumably had a little left than tag. And, and if someone's looking at this and then they're like, oh, they added this guy and he's 35. Well, I, I'm not saying without exception, but like the wizards seem to, you know, operate on one extreme or the other, either really young guys who needed a new fit or older guys that were veteran, you know, Robin Lopez's kind of stuff. Um, it, it seemed like the Clippers kind of did that more middle ground. They're established, but they might also still have some gas left in the tank. Yeah, like even like the one of the most recent ones, they traded um, they traded Eric Bledsoe's contract, mm-hmm. which I think which I believe was expiring to get Norm Powell and yeah. Robert Covington from the from the Trailblazers. Yeah. Um, and again, Norm Powell and Covington, they're not gonna they're not like necessarily great starters, but they're or good start they but they can start a game. Yeah. You're not gonna lose anything if they have to start for a portion of the season and they're quality reserves. Mm-hmm. I mean, now Clippers actually following Rob <laughs> Robert on uh 
on Twitter. He was perplexed as to why Covington was not in the rotation near the end of the season. But that's another story. Yeah. But like those are, again, different type of margins. Those are you could probably bucket those as margin swings and not like you're not bringing in Norman Powell to be your your 25 point per game score. But when you put him in a game, you know, you're going to get 17 points on good shooting from him, you know, and good. And they didn't do things like trade Norm Powell then for three second round picks and a guy who was never going to be in the rotation longer. Right. You know, (laughs) yeah. Um, The other thing here that that sort of stood out uh, at some point, the phrase a pivot towards a rebuild is probably coming. You mentioned that if you can't attract superstars in free agency, uh, which is an issue here in D.C., and you don't have the assets to land them in a trade, you don't really have any way to add talent to your roster other than through the draft. So so maybe stripping this down for parts and picks is is an inevitability here. Uh, and I, I think there's a certain, I don't know, I don't want to say majority of the fan base, but a certain percentage of the fan base that I, I think has been like holding out hope for that longer term. I don't think it happens in the first year personally, but, um, you know, I don't hate seeing that they're at least, again, strongly willing to consider that if if this clearly uh, th- this lane they've gone so far is not working for them. Yeah, I don't see a full a pivot to a full rebuild where they kind of just got it. Um, if you look what the Clippers did, they kind of retooled and then. Their situation is different, which is why I asked that question, because it is, while it's not the Lakers, there's still the LA market. You mm-hmm. have a, an owner that is more than willing to spend. You have kind of a, a lot of big names there. And basically, Lob City kind of changed the whole, the whole kind of aura around that franchise, right? Yep. So, whereas Washington can't clear cap space and kind of and, and bring in a Kawhi-PG combo. Right? Well, you, never, you can never say never, but it's not like really something that we do. We do. Mm-hmm. over here so what the clippers had to do was basically so it's not like an apples to apples comparison there but they didn't get it they never went below i think 40 wins it really started with the trade um and i was trying to look back at it it looks like the chris paul trade happened before michael winger joined the organization yeah. but kind of you saw similar type moves one player move for quantity and decent quantity not terrible quantity like the the, the, the trade to the to the rockets that had like I think it was Sam Decker, Montrez Harrell, um, Lou Williams, mm. who became a better player, like who kind of like found. I mean, he, he was always a good player, but he just had another gear when he got to L.A. Sure. And then they traded Blake Griffin to Detroit for Tobias Harris, uh, Boban, multiple picks. But then they reflipped Tobias Harris before play before uh, before um, paying him for Landry Shamit and multiple picks from Philadelphia. So they they were always moving. And but in a way that never like bottomed them out, but always replenished them with picks and movable contracts. So maybe that's kind of maybe that's what the plan is. Maybe that's how the rebuild is shaped here. It's not like we're it's not like we're going to tear it down to the studs and just trade everyone for picks and just bottom out as a 15 win team. But maybe we're just going to keep our flexibility by truly moving players, moving picks. I know moving players, getting back other tradable contracts and more picks and then seeing basically seeing what you have and then adjusting as you go. I think some people have mentioned the oh he's not a basketball guy thing, but sometimes just like a cold businessman is the way to do this who can divorce like loyalty and personality from these things and you have like you know basketball is a business and and the wizards have not really operated that way for honestly most of my lifetime, you know there's a lot of talk yeah. about you know, mom and pop run organization and a family, family and friends kind of business and, and things like that. And 
you know, people that have worked for Monumental for 20 plus years. And not that that's a bad thing necessarily, but at some point you have to be able to say things like this has not worked. We like you. We wish you well, but but you gots to go. And and I think the yeah. fact that, you know, I'm not saying he was the guy solely behind the Blake Griffin thing, but hey, Brad, we, we, we very much value your time and tenure here with the org. You know, we'll We'll let you come back as an ambassador when you retire, but this right. shit ain't working. You know, like the the loyalty is up here. Like being able to divorce yourself from the emotional component of it, I, I think is important and and hopefully something they're willing to do. And, and the other piece you hit on there is just the, they were never like late on a move. They didn't wait one year too long on most of the, I mean, if you can pick out some smaller examples, fine, but for most of their big moves. They, it was, you know, the striking wall, the iron is hot kind of situation. Right. And, and that's not something that we had done particularly well here, at least. Like Tobias Harris was an expiring mm-hmm. and I believe they netted two first round picks from Philadelphia. And yeah. at that time, Landry Shamit was held probably in a higher regard. He was oh, yeah. like, his rookie season. He, and he was viewed the way we view Kispert now. Like he was that yeah. kind of piece. Yeah. So they, that was again, and actually that's where you could kind of see a difference. And I, and um, you can never know what one person would have done, but if the Wizards were, when the Wizards have traded for someone and they've had all of a sudden a surprise or really good season for them. Mm-hmm. So the Clippers, the one, where I'm going with this is the Clippers traded for Tobias Harris, who really had a good season for them after they traded for him. And they were exceeding expectations. In Wizards land, we have been more, we have kind of grown accustomed to that be- meaning okay, now we are going to pay this player a lot of money to stay here, you know, yeah. versus, okay, what's the next? We're looking at you, Davis Bertans. Yeah, you're looking at Bertans. You are probably looking at what yeah. um, Tommy Shepard was planning around Porzingis and Kuzma. We don't know if that's altered or not. We'll find that out in the next month. But yeah, that's exactly what it is. The Clippers probably resisted an urge. And maybe this is probably the, the good thing about having a collaborative effort. One sure. person may say, hey, why are we trading Tobias? He's doing great. He's still young. Another person was like, hey, look, this is what he could get. This is what he could get in free agency, which is that like kind of monstrous contract that Philly's probably hoping they could get off of now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's having that collaborative effort, kind of like identifying that as, hey, we could capitalize on this guy. We won't get stuck with this contract. We can get multiple picks. We can get tradable contracts. Maybe that's the way to go. You mentioned this at least in our group chat and may have tweeted it out or whatever. The, the notion of most of these guys on this roster are are people that Tommy Shepard had some emotional attachment to, whether he drafted them or whatever. And maybe that leads to a reluctance to move on from them. Whereas like Winger, you're coming in cold. Like you did not draft any. You did not draft Corey. Uh, Trader for Gafford wasn't one of your star trades. So I think that puts all these guys on the table and that's really the way you have to operate to do this successfully. Like you can't be personally invested in someone because they were a dude you picked or worried about, well, if I flip Denny and then it's another guy that, uh, and again, I'm not saying trade Denny. So Denny crowd, chill out. I'm just (laughs) saying in, in general, you can't be worried about the, oh, we never sign guys to a second contract. So um, yeah, that that doesn't factor in anymore. Right. I think that's out of the window. You worried about that when kind of shepherds are like, hey, it's another because the person who drafted players is still is the one not re-signing them. So you worry about it more then. Now it's kind of although we may uh, some fans may like a Corey, may like a Denny. Mm-hmm. Do you also really want that new GM if he does not want to be encumbered to be encumbered by Denny being contract eligible this summer and do a contract next summer and Corey 
being one year away from being contract eligible. What if he, what if in his mind, he wants, I want shooting, I want length and I want like three and D's on the way. Like we don't know what he wants or what he's envisioning or what him and the future GM are envisioning. So, so like you kind of have to get like kind of remove those loyalties, let him basically let him cook, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that's a perfect way to say it. And the other thing that came up here and I'm glad it came up is this notion of their draft history and and just specifically the 2017 draft. And, you know, like Robert looked at this a little, probably more negatively, at least the way I read it than I would, whereas they had an A plus pick in Shea Gildas Alexander and immediately followed that up with the Jerome Robinson pick, which, you know, is an, is an absolute flop. And he was like, you know, they only went one for two to me. That's what every team does. Now, they may not be as extreme as SGA to Jerome Robinson yeah. from like star <laughs> to, to total bust, but you know that's usually how this goes. Like the best teams don't nail these things. And I think that's why it's important to say like these guys were in the lottery with two picks total during his time there. And they like knocked one of them absolutely out of the park. And that's why you can afford to like not do well with Jerome Robinson. Like I think, unfortunately, our recent guys, like, uh, you know, our whole our whole crop of guys that Tommy drafted around the lottery are closer to Jerome Robinson than they are SGA. Yeah. And and that may offend certain people listening to this who are, are standing for one particular player, but like they they nailed the SGA pick and they can afford to miss with the other one because they added star talent. And if you're the Wizards. It's the same thing coming up this year. Like you have to knock this eighth pick out of the park. And and that's, yeah. if they can do that, then all of a sudden, like if you, we've said this before, but if Tommy Shepard nails one of those four picks, he's still here. And, and yeah. his, he's looked at very differently if he's got a fringe all-star on the roster um, with one of his lottery picks. Yeah, and I think you're so the difference here, and I'll give I'll give them a little bit bit of, of the benefit of the doubt. Like Jerome Robinson, if he's an F for mm-hmm. Robert and SGA is definitely an A plus for a pick where he was, especially where he was. You'd probably I'd probably put our guys in that they're all C's, B's, C's in that C range. You could make a B minus case for one of them, you know. I, I I'd put them all C's because yeah. in terms of yeah, you'd have like, do you really want to if you're not sure that you want to give anyone a second contract, I don't think you can put sure. them above a C. You know what yeah, I mean? I agree. So I put them in a C at, at a C level, but I'd rather have an A and an F than once than multiple C's. You know Agreed. what I mean? Because yeah. it's a star league, you need those stars. And you can and, go out and get a C in free agency. Whereas like you can't exactly. you can't add an A without assets. Right. Exactly. And that's what it really does. Like LA clearly did not want to give up uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, but it was kind of a ne- it was a necessity yeah. to bring in Kawhi because Kawhi and Paul George were a package deal. And even then, look, it still could work. It just they've had really bad injuries, injury luck. Over the Every last GM league. in the league would trade SGA for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to trade. Yeah, up. if they knew Kawhi was coming. Yep, exactly. So it just it is what it is. But it just shows you kind of the flexibility or kind of what happens when you do really nail a pick, like you. Mm-hmm then can be in the conversation for a Paul George. You can mm-hmm. like, or just like they could have even just kept Shea Alexander and like, they would have been fine as well. Like it just, it opens so much more up for you because then you're not worried about how do I get a star? You're just trying to fill in the parts around the stars, mm-hmm. you know? But the other interesting thing that you mentioned there was that they did just to get him. They didn't even just stay at 12. They jumped to 11, yeah. which is a one spot move just to ensure they get him. 
because that so that means they really identified him and they really went after him mm-hmm. at, for that front office. Whereas we're kind of used to the mindset when if we pick 10th, Tommy comes out, Tommy used to come out and say, Hey, there are 11 players I love in this draft. So we'll take whoever's there to us. When we pick 15th, hey, I love 16 guys in the draft. We're gold. You know, we're going to get one of those. We're going to get one of those 15 uh, guys, 16 yep. guys at 15. This is another great thing that you guys hit on here. And I'm, I'm glad it, it came up again. And and I th- still think I'm, I'm looking at it slightly more positively than he did. It's it's sort of the mixed bag of they traded up a couple times for people or made moves to get guys they prioritized highly. At, and I like that. That's conviction behind. Like we trust our scouting to go out and get it. It's not just like the you know, who's next up on, on Jay Billis's mock or big board or whoever, uh, on, on draft night. And we're going to take that person. It was like, we feel strongly. This is the guy. And it didn't always work out for them. But again, you're going to hit on like 50% of these at best. If yeah. you're a good GM, like go like Danny Ainge is one of the better front office guys in the league. Just look at the teams he's built and, and his draft record's not that good outside of top five picks. And right. Now he's nailed the shit out of those top five picks, but, <laughs> and Robert Williams was a good pick and Grant Williams was a good pick, but there's just as many misses. And, and I think, you know, James Young and RJ Hunter and, and all these guys you can go back to where their first round picks, they, they've totally flopped and are out of the league. And, uh, that that's fine. Like if you're the Clippers, like, okay, you get Terrence Mann at 48, that's awesome. But if they want to be salty that they took um, Fiondu Cabin Gelly out of Florida State or Daniel Otaru out of Minnesota, who I've never sort of sold on why anyone wanted to draft him personally, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they made some move to get Keon Johnson and then moved on from him. And I really liked Jason Preston out of Ohio, uh, Ohio University uh, for them as an early second round pick. And he's just been hurt. Like um, that yeah. was labeled as a bust in here. And I don't know if it was where Robert's word specifically, but. He's got time to still figure that out because he was always going to be a late bloomer and a project. But then that same follow-up, they went out and got BJ Boston. And and this was a guy that was a top 10 prospect coming into his one season in college. And, and he underachieved yeah. and they grabbed him at 51. And, and and that's, I love those kinds of moves. Just swing big as shit with a mostly throwaway pick. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And um, I think he pointed out here that they've moved up or they moved into the draft to get some of those guys that have yep. been falling that they really identified and like. And that's like, look, you don't know how the board always works. We've kind of yelled that over here. Like, I think you and I, maybe years ago when Keldon Johnson, was that 2018? Mm-hmm. Keldon Johnson's diving down the board, oh. getting to the late 20s. And we're like, hey, just go up and get him. Go up yep. and get He was someone that they brought in for, the Wizards brought in for a workout for the, was it the eighth pick that year or ninth pick? Ninth pick. We had the ninth pick that year. Yeah. And he was like in the still available in the twenties, and it's like just, hey, just find a way, go up and get him yeah. if you really like him. Uh, and um, we're not saying that if we had the Clippers front office that would have happened, but it's like that mentality, that not letting the board just fall to you, going up and just grabbing the board, getting who you want. Sure, it would be a welcome change here. Now to do that, you need more than just your standard one pick a year. Mm-hmm. Like even with the whole SGA Jerome Robinson draft. It works like they they really they had batted 500 on that one. Mm-hmm. They got an A and an F, but they had two picks. So you can afford an A and F. If you have just one pick, then you're really just like putting everything on that one pick. So we have two second rounders this year, one first rounder. But I think what based on what Robert said, one of two ways that I could maybe see this going, this is obviously based on no intel. This is just kind yeah, of sure. like reading, reading the past. Mm-hmm. Does 
does the new front office here trade up for a guy they really like? Yeah. Or do they acquire a pick or something so that they get more than one shot at this? You know? That's this is the year to do it. Like we've said yeah. repeatedly, and there are a lot of guys that withdrew from this draft. So it may, you know, cannibalize some of the depth here, but I think this is still a really strong opportunity. And there are certain teams that that have multiple picks toward the tail end of this first round. I, I think that maybe you could go out and try to buy a pick from like the, do the Pacers really want three first round picks? Uh, they yeah. pick a 26 and 29. Is there something you could do with them where you take on a Chris Duarte contract or something that they may be ready to move on from? And yeah. in the process, you, you give them something that allows you to net either 26 or 29. Like those are the kind of moves I'm, I'm expecting this front office to make. Do the nets really want 21 and 22? Can you go out and get one of those yeah. somehow? Or 31 and some piece, does that allow you to move up 10 spots? Like th that's yeah. that needs to be on the table. And and that's sort of not, I don't know. It's not maybe it's not fair to say that Shepard didn't do that. It, there are uh, lots of reporting that he tried to move up to four to get Denny. And I I I talked about their sort of lack of conviction. The one that they had the most conviction about was Isaiah Todd. And, and that's unfortunately the one that's probably worked out for them the worst. Uh, but I but still even then, that's our guy. It was a drop, a drop back in the draft. But you know, that, yeah, that's email. the difference to me. Like it, it's a, it was a weird. They had conviction for the player, and yeah. undoubtedly conviction for the player. But I think where the difference there is, they dropped down knowing mm -hmm. that the player they had conviction for will be there versus knowing. So that's kind of like. That's a little different to me because yeah, instead of like going up and getting someone, you're thinking we're the smartest people in the room. We know this great gem is going to slip down to us 10 more spots. Mm -hmm. But then you're really saying you're what you're really saying is we know something that no other GMs know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, do you really? <laughs> yeah. turns out they didn't. Turns out I didn't. Like I said, I had Isaiah Todd still time. He's 21 young. on my board this year. When when he's a fringe all-star for the Kings in two years, I, I'm going to just like take so many receipts from people and, and just put them out there. But uh, there we go. See, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but even still, like that, that kind of pick seems more close to what the Clippers did. Uh, just like, again, the BJ Boston one, that was when I was screaming for. Like, this yeah. is a dude that just literally went out and took a dump during a weird year with COVID and he was sort of like scrawny and didn't get a chance to bulk up and and do the things that those guys needed to compete during a normal season, let alone during you know the COVID season. And um, it, sometimes guys are are capped development wise when they don't get those full things. We saw that with Zaire Williams the same year. Yeah. But again, you're gonna get a top ten pedigree guy at 51. You, you just do it, like it's it, it just, and you never think about it. And it's you could go out and literally do nothing and acquire a 50th or better pick. And and right. they were willing to do those things smartly. So is this uh, Amani Bates is available in the draft? I know there's a lot of people listening to this that somehow want Amani Bates and haven't actually seen him play basketball. But <laughs> if you're choosing to bet on the pedigree, those are the kinds of guys that uh, I'm not mad at them taking shots at. Right. Uh, anything else from this conversation that stood out to you that we haven't hit on so far? Um, I think... I think the only part where I would like not necessarily agree, um, I think Rob was kind of, he's predicting a rebuild. Yeah. And I just don't see the rebuild coming. I see more of a, I don't think they're waiting for their free agency, like 
you know, clearing the books for a free agent to come here. But I do think that they're going to try to just get a lot of vets and picks like younger vets who know, like no more known quantities versus unknown quantities, like what the shepherd. Mm-hmm. So I think I kind of touched on this a little earlier, but yeah, I think they will be, there will be a lot of transactions. There will be a lot of moves. There'll be a lot of roster turnover over the next 12 to 24 months. Uh, um, our buddy Chase Carroll and I did this exercise a little bit uh, the other day. Um, just percentage chance for for these guys, you know, still on the roster. To me, there is a zero percent chance that by the end of next season, all three of Beal, Porzingis, and Kuzma are gone. Right. Uh, I, I just I don't see a world where they move on from all three of them. Um, yeah. One and of I, the three actually I could my... see for sure, but. Oh, yeah. And I think actually one of the three probably happens sooner than later. I don't even think they get into next season because if you are um, a free agent, unless you're getting a no trade clause, do you resign knowing that you have no control over where you might be traded in the next six in the next six months? And I, you know, if you're a Kyle Kuzma, if you're a Kristaps Porzingis, if you opt out, um, if there are alternatives there um, that are comparable, if not better, why risk? Why risk where your future, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to get stuck in a, playing for a franchise or playing and living in a city that you don't want to live in, that you have no say in that decision, you know? So I think there might be something there, but that's the thing. So let's just say kind of hypothetically, they trade one of Porzingis or Kuzma. They're still left with two. I wouldn't qualify, call that a rebuild because they're going to get something for that player. They're still going to have young, young, like, you know, players nearing the end of their rookie contracts are going to step into roles and new players coming in. Mm-hmm. And look, realistically, <laughs> I don't think any one of the three make a huge difference. And there really probably would still be a 35-ish win team mm-hmm. if you just even got rid of one of the three and got some some like decent replacement for them. Sure. So that's why I wouldn't call it a total rebuild, but I do think there will be a lot of moving parts. Yeah, it's it's more likely to me that you sign and trade Kuzma, try to get an asset back, take that asset, one of your existing ones and whatever the first round pick you can trade is, and then you try to go out and get a third piece as opposed yeah. to running all three back. Although I still think that in, in some way, shape or form, they sign all of the, all of these guys are signed to a contract here, whether it's a sign and trade for one of the two, <laughs> we'll see. But I, I think, yeah. They'll try to keep the asset and, and get something for it rather than just them letting walk outright. But, uh, you know, I, I think there, there's some world where maybe two of the three are potentially gone. I think that's like a 30% chance, something like that. But, yeah, you know, we'll we'll see what it looks like here. Um, and, I, and I do also, I don't think, look, the Wizards are not a free agency, a free agent destination. Yeah. But we've seen it time and time again, a GM um, and a strong young, like a good... I don't know. A GM and a, some exciting moves can create opportunities for teams. Sure. Yep. So if 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 Michael Winger and company come in and do some exciting things, like the people have always said, this is this could potentially be a good basketball market. Yeah, I think we might find out. You know, we might like are they can they actually attract free agents or they still do they still have to work via the trade market? Um, there's no nothing to evidence that they can just go out and a, a major marquee free agent will come here, but you never know what he does. Um, I still think it probably is more prudent and more wise for them to kind of like draft their next star and yeah. then see where the chips fall from there. The and that's why I think this draft pick has got to have sort of that that in mind at the very least. And yeah, you know, it, eighteen months ago nobody was dying to go to Sacramento, and yeah. now I bet they're going to be really popular in free agency this year. One because they have some money, and two, people want to play with the Aaron Fox. People want to play next to 
Demonis Sabonis. Like that's an exciting young team. So yeah. to your point, like a GM does a couple things right, and all of a sudden you can build some momentum and, and people want to like jump on board that train and get in early, I think. So let me ask you this. And now we're somewhat limited because of the the pick that is still owed to New York um, from the John Wall, Russell Westbrook yeah. trade, which the pick has moved around various times now. Um, how does the 2024 draft compare to the 2023 draft? Uh, I think the depth got better because a, a good amount of guys did go to college uh, or did go back for, for another year of college and want to capitalize on some NILs. But I, Overall, I, I think it's considered a much weaker draft than this one. I've seen some weird stuff, and even people like Bill Simmons being like, I don't know, this draft, not very good after the top one or two. And it's like, this is one of the better drafts I remember. Um, now, there are guys with serious question marks, and there could be some real bust potential here. But I also think just in terms of like upside guys, you could get a guy at eight or nine that has much bigger upside than probably anybody in the top five will have next year. And even some of the last year's conversation, you know, just... Uh, some of the top picks from previous years would would go much lower. I, I think um, looking at next year's draft, like if you took some of the top couple guys, uh, DJ Wagner or something like that, he's probably yeah. a fringe top ten pick in this class. Whereas like next mm-hmm. year, he he could go top three. So, uh, so this is a much better draft to be to be in, honestly. So I guess that's my question. I wonder how when the front office comes in. Uh, when they're all here and the new GM is in place with Michael Winger, mm-hmm. I wonder if they view this as the draft to prioritize. I hope they, they do. Oh, that pick to New York. Yeah. It's almost like, do you think they just want to get rid of that pick obligation and what's considered a weaker draft? So one, this is why also maybe not a full rebuild right away. You, if you, if you go full rebuild, keep your pick, you still have that pick, sure. you know, and that pick obligation is still there. You almost wonder if they kind of like just, don't mind being in that 35 40 win level mm-hmm. but making moves along the way to get there not with the what not with the core as is because and in doing so do they put more chips like uh, kind of push their chips in on this draft try to find ways to get more picks in this draft since this draft is viewed better yeah. you kind of <clears throat> just too few things you get more lotto tickets and a bit better draft you potentially get rid of your pick obligation and then you're not as focused on what's considered a weaker draft. So they're kind of like, you almost wonder what, how he, I think I read it somewhere. I can't remember exactly where he's going to put together a five-year plan. Mm -hmm. I wonder how the 2024 draft fits into that five-year plan, how that pick obligation fits in there. And because of the, the strength of this draft, does he push any chips in to, or more chips in to take more shots at this one? And that's why I've been kind of more on that. There's at least probably some amount of wait and see component with this group where you're yeah. more likely to see all three back than all three gone. And yeah. and two of the three, I think, is almost a guarantee, at least till the trade deadline, because it'll be to that point. They want to evaluate all those guys in full context with each other, including whoever they draft this year. And, you know, if if you're bad next year, you are also lottery protected, uh, top 12 protected next year. So maybe if you end up being really shitty, and there are some guys you like, and maybe that's not the worst thing. Like maybe yeah. Ron Holland just destroys everybody for the G League night, and you're like, oh shit, we really want a top five pick. But yeah, but he did say, and sorry, this, I think this is a piece that he did with the LA Times where it's fun to kind of not to have a complete product. Do you have that quote or I don't it was basic? But do you you do you recall which one I'm talking about? Yeah, I think something I have about it's not a finished product. So 
I think even if he does keep them, it'll be in a way so that it's still not a considered finished. It's agreed. Yeah. It's a temporary, they're temporary placeholders. So mm-hmm. as he figures out what the next step is. Yep. I think that's kind of the most likely way I see this playing out is they'll have some amount of time to just like see how it all looks and then evaluate on the fly. So hopefully right. we'll see. Yep. All right. We mentioned this year's draft. I've got my draft board here. Uh, this is a 1.0. I should probably even put 0.01 instead, you know, like it, it's really rough. Uh, I, I mentioned this on the So Wizard podcast with Kevin Broom yesterday, but I try to watch like six games of every one of these guys before I'll confidently put them anywhere. Cause at least that's enough yeah. sampling of just like, it's probably representative, especially if you look at the box score in advance and, and see, did he play well? Did he play poorly? You don't want to just look at, this is the best five games the guy played all year. Uh, so I, I think I'm mostly through all of these guys and, and some of them were easier watches than others. I'll be very honest about that. But um, number one, I got on the board here uh, is, is just Wembenyama. Like I, I'm not, I'm not bold enough to to want to go against that. <laughs> like a couple years ago, I really wanted to go Kaminga over Kid Cunningham and ultimately yeah. didn't do it. Uh, and now I'm glad. Uh, but I thought the upside was higher with Kaminga and ultimately that hasn't worked out. This one, if Victor has a full healthy career, there's no world where he's not just like Evan Mobley with a jump shot. And and to me, that's um, that's just sort of the guy you got to put top top of the board here. Yeah, I think it's it's clear. I At the beginning of the season, you had a lot of, hey, Scoot's better. No, you could find like, look, Scoot is a is a unique talent also. Sure. But not nearly as unique as Victor. And you just got to not overthink it. You know, you could get point there. The point guard depth in the league and coming up in the league is so deep. You could find a point guard, especially one who's not a great shooter. You know, um, it's a slam dunk. This is the this is the pick. As long as like it's health is the only question. And, and rarely do guys get hyped for this long before people have picked them completely apart. And and this is Victor's been a guy that since fourteen, uh, everybody's been like, this is a dude that everyone in the world needs to be paying attention to. And right here we are four or five years later and it's like, oh shit, he's, he's still really effing good. And, and that's, that's hard to do. <laughs> um, I have three guys sort of in the next tier. I have Brandon Miller out of Alabama at two, Amon Thompson at number three and Scoot Henderson at four. Somebody's going to give me shit for having Scoot four there. To me, they're in a tier for a reason. There's very little separation to me. And I think some of this, and I keep saying this on the pod all the time. I don't really believe in best player available because different teams have different constraints. They have different needs. The thing we talked about in the last convo, some places can bring in star players more easily than others. So uh, if you're Charlotte, you haven't had a lot of track record of bringing in big name free agents. I would swing bigger uh, with, with a guy than I would if I were, I don't know, a team that's traditionally in the playoffs and just having a down year or whatever the case may be. Um, If I'm Chicago or whoever, you know, you want to want to call out but uh to me brandon miller is the safest of the three he's six foot nine he shoots the shit out Mm -hmm. of it uh i think he defends reasonably well across multiple positions i think he's got more to his game from a creation standpoint and that's just where the league is going so to me it's it's archetype i would prioritize the highest and that's really why i put these guys where they are you've got amen six foot seven basically a point guard i think that's what he has to be to really work out there's some question marks about if he can do that full time. But at the end of the day, if you've got two super athletes who can be on ball, I'd rather have the six foot seven one than the six foot two one. And that's just why I put right. Thompson ahead of Scoot. And I think with Miller, it's kind of also simple. Like there's 
no reason to think that he can't be a 25 point per game score in the league. Yeah. Right. So if you, if you think that and he's at his height, um, still not 21 yet. Um, yes, there's the off court stuff. Yeah. Um, but taking that out of the equation, uh, for now, the, again, no reason to overthink it. You're getting at six, nine, 20, like six, nine player who you think can score but about 25 point per game, five points per game eventually. So if you know you're getting Brandon Ingram at, at number two, yeah. do you just take right. that? You just take it. Yeah. You don't have to overthink it, especially like, you know, Charlotte has, has a point guard, you know, mm-hmm. has someone that can make even life easier for Brandon Miller. So why not? Yeah, exactly. And then again, it's really splitting hairs though. I think who I am and the team I work for would influence that. Uh, does, does fit come into play with Portland at number three, if they keep that pick and do they say like, well, we can't play Scoot Henderson, Dame Lillard, and uh, Anthony Simons all together, assuming they don't <laughs> trade the pick, you know, for something. So I think yeah. um, that's at least something to be, um, you know, uh, be mindful of. My guess is if Portland keeps the kit pick, they're hoping Brandon Miller is there. The guy. Three, because he's the best day one. He's the oldest of the right. pl- of those prospects in that range. I think a little older than Eamon Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, he's you know, his scoring package will work right away and he fits better with Damian Lillard, sorry, right away. Um, with Scoot, again, you're very small. So you'd have to move, you'd have to move one of Simon's Lillard, Scoot. It just doesn't make, like, you're not going to, you know, it's a talented group, but it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense from a roster construction standpoint. And with a man as a six, seven, six, eight point guard, he could work with Dame, Dame playing a little more off ball, taking a little pressure off, but like, I think there's going to be somewhat of a curve. I think he'll still be a very good player, but as that shot, he has to develop the shot a little more. Yeah, you know, it still needs a lot of work to the point where there's going to be somewhat of a curve and somewhat of like, you know, where it'll, it'll be, he'll be a little up and down because of that. And I think where Lillard, Lillard I can't even say his name, where Dame is in his career you need something kind of more, someone more refined. So I mm-hmm. think they're probably just hoping that a Brandon Mill is in. If a Brandon Mill is not there, maybe you look elsewhere and try to then move the pick. We used to play basketball in high school with this older guy. He was a Puerto Rican guy, and he just yelled, jump a broke every time somebody shot. That was more like a Jamaican <laughs> accent. That was terrible. So don't hold me accountable for that. But just jump a broke every time. And and that's all I think every time I watch the Thompson Twins play, specifically Amon Thompson that shit's like actually broken <laughs> although like one out of five jump shots he takes you're like holy shit this is beautiful form uh why can't he bottle this and like um do that more consistently so the fact that he shoots differently almost every yeah. time is probably the biggest concern and matt and i were talking about this earlier so i'm kind of just beginning to dive into draft stuff now it just you know until we knew where we were picking and until the new gm new news came out it wasn't it just didn't intrigue me this much so now i'm all of a sudden re like reinvigorated. Um, so one question I asked him uh, and I'll kind of put out here right now is if uh, a sore, am I saying it correctly? Yeah. Uh, well, if some he, people say Ozer, it's a sore. I, I don't know. Like everybody's, okay. everybody's name is pronounced differently across the board this year. I, I think a sore is what I've been saying, but I don't know. So if a sore, like his shot is not materially better, but it looks better. Mm-hmm. And you know, why? Ha- so my question to Matt was, why is he kind of considered a tier below Amen on the board when his jumper, his athleticism is also off the charts and the jumper just looks looks cleaner, you mm-hmm. know, or there's more of like I could project his jump shot a little better than I could project Amen's. 
So I asked that question and I thought your answer was pretty interesting there. Yeah, so I've got him five, honestly. I, I think it seems to be sort of the move whenever you have these twins, whether it's Andrew and Aaron Harrison or Caleb and Cody Martin, there seems to be an on-ball and an off-ball guy. That's just sort of how it works itself out with them. And and Amon has been the guy that we have seen as the on-ball guy. So I think from a GM perspective, it's much easier to say if none of if neither of them end up a shooter, it, the guy who's the six foot seven point guard who's going to be on ball, you know, is more valuable, right? Like, and then a sort if he never really shoots it, well, then what is he? He is right. He's Abocephalosha or something, or <laughs> you know, Andre Roberson. So with Amon, it's like, well. We saw this this year with people that that watched UConn play basketball, for instance. Everybody saw highlights of Andre Jackson and really liked him. Early in the year when they played him off ball, teams guarded him the way they guard Russell Westbrook. And the reason these guys who don't shoot, who are dynamic athletes, need the ball is because you can't sag off of someone with the ball because now they can hit you with a head of steam. So if you've got Amon who can just literally attack you from anywhere with the ball, it's just it, you can't pick on the shooting as much. He's still going to have the ball, find seams, get people on his hip, finish really yeah. well at the rim. He's an elite finisher, especially in transition. Like these guys are both going to be ultimate transition weapons. So I, I think that's really the sales pitch. Although some people will say, and, and this is apparently a thing that's out there, some teams like a sore better because he does shoot it and they think he can do the same things on ball that Amon can. He just hasn't had the opportunity yet. So I compared it to Matt to, and to a lesser extent, I compared it to Markeith versus Marcus. Yeah, Marcus yeah. was always projected higher than all of a sudden draft day. Markeith goes a pick earlier, mm-hmm. and I think some of that was just kind of the everything else, yep. you know, and the, like the shot being, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, like you know. Um, now since then, I think Marcus has had a lot more lasting power, so yeah. it's just interesting, you know. To uh, obviously a much lesser degree, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great comp. Like you can sell yourself on on that, and sometimes I think some teams just want to be like the outside the box guy, and yeah, uh, you know maybe maybe that's worth it. So in that next tier, I've got a Sword Thompson, Nick Smith Jr. I still like it's one of the few guys from this class I've actually watched high school tape of, and mm-hmm. it just wasn't the player that anyone saw at Arkansas this year. Even if you watch their European tour, at where he ended up getting hurt, it's just a much more dynamic guy. And something about watching a dude with the ball that can give his defender jelly legs is like, yeah. when was the last time the Wizards had that? It was Wall putting people on their heels. And and we've desperately missed that sense. Like Westbrook did it to some extent, but yeah, you know, it, it wasn't really the same. Brad isn't shaking anybody and, and putting them on their butts. And uh, I think Nick Smith can do that. And he's got decent enough size. And, and I think the projection here is can he be an on-ball creator? Can he do SGA kind of things? And I think he can. If you don't think he can do that, then you're going to have him in the teens somewhere. Well, I was thinking of him as a, in terms of a different player. How would he compare because uh, to a Tyrese Maxey? It's kind of that sort of vibe, right? Like where they're going to have to attack you in transition. They're going to be um, maybe not like the best athletes, but but they use, like I think Nick Smith uses like pace and shiftiness as well as any of these guys that'll be in the lottery for this year or around the lottery, because everyone just seems to have to be on their heels to guard yeah. him. And and that was less a thing at Arkansas because he didn't have the burst to get it, get by anybody. So assume you think yeah. the knee is healthy. That's the guy I'd bet on. And that's kind of what I was um, kind of looking back as, as to what happened, uh, kind of how I evaluated or looked at Maxi. Mm-hmm. I saw kind of a smallish combo guard, not a, not the greatest shooter. Sure. 
great speed, but not like a bit the biggest leaper. Mm-hmm. So when I was watching Nick Smith kind of go through his pro day, I was like, you know, this guy kind of looks a little familiar to that. And I was like, and you know, so I was trying to judge it against what I missed on Maxi. What sure. I missed on Maxi is how much speed he plays with how, again, how fast he is, up-tempo, going full court, being able to translate uh, or being able to stay on ball more in the NBA and what that did for him. So I kind of saw that as a comp, you know, a yeah. little bit um, mm-hmm. just in in what I've watched so far, but still still not all the way there yet. On him. Like not all the way there in terms of evaluating him, but I did uh, like, it just reminded me of Maxi and I was like, will he slip because of concerns over his size? Um, and if so, maybe he's like, could be a Maxi type steal, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, um, he's bigger than Maxi, right? So I think Maxi like is actually six foot two and just because he's a solidly built guy and, and probably a better vertical athlete than Nick is. Nick measured at six foot five and he has a six, eight wingspan and then Maxi probably has a, a six, eight wingspan too. I don't, yeah. I don't have it in front of me, but um, he is a little bigger and I think it's easier to just project him being like, all right, if he has to be an off ball guy, he's still taller than Beal is. And, and I went yeah. and watched one of his, Bradley Beal elite games where he was standing next to Brad, who was like down the bench and yeah. he looked taller than Brad then. And this is probably two years ago. So yeah. Um, whatever Brad six, three ish, I guess. So at the very least the six, four or five is genuine. Um, so hopefully that helps. Could he be Anthony, Anthony Simons for a team at the very least? Yeah. I think that's probably a realistic sort of level to expect. Okay. Um, Anthony black, I have seventh. I just really like the guy. It, I, 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 I just buy the shooting for some reason. And I think that's yeah. going to be the swing skill with him. I think he'll defend at a high level. I think he is like a genuine creator for other people. And everyone who questions that, I, again, I would say sort of watch the fit. He didn't have the Nick Smiths and the Trayvon Brazils. Mm-hmm. And then eight, I've got Cam Whitmore. I, I think all those guys in that range, just the ceiling to me, the best version of them is is really interesting and appealing. And those are the kinds of guys I want the Wizards to consider in that range. The next tier of guys is a little bit more of a mixed bag. Any anything else you want to throw in on Black or Whitmore? Well, with Anthony Black, like he's kind of the consensus. If you look on the like, if sure. you follow for social media, everyone's like, "Hey, we love Anthony Black." Mm-hmm. I think two things: one, he and Whitmore seem I, to be the guys that our fan base most want. Yes, I would be a little careful about fit with mm-hmm. a new GM coming in. I'm not necessarily worried about. I was worried about finding a point guard previously. Sure. I'm not as worried about finding a point guard now that I think the roster will be really turning over the next one to two years. Um, I don't think a pick should be made with this core in mind. It should be made with like kind of, you got to just find, like we talked about earlier, he's got to find his SGA, his best, Mm -hmm. the best possible player. So does Anthony Black have that upside as a scorer? I don't, I I mean, I don't, you've watched much more than I have, so I can't speak to that. The shot. Probably not. The, the, what concerns the, the minor concern out of the shot, I think he'll become like, you know, a fine shooter, more of a catch and shoot versus off the dribble. Mm. He doesn't do much with his legs. It's a lot of arm. Yeah. Um, it's a little like Denny in that way, but he's, I think will be obviously it still looks much cleaner than Denny's. So I'm not worried about it being like a Denny type shot, sure. but when you don't see a lot of dip, when you don't, when you see a lot of arm, especially as they're going to be in addition to someone who I think shot 30% from three in college, do I have mm. that right? Yep. to moving back and using arms from a longer distance. It's just going to be tough. So I don't think he's going to shoot well right away, but I don't think it'll be a bad shot either. I mean, if I, I like Dyson Daniels, so there's no reason for me not to like Anthony Black, you know? Um, and I think Black probably offers a little more offensive creativity to the table um, than maybe Dyson did. Uh, yep. okay. Again, but again, that's it. I wouldn't, 
make, uh, I think my concern is let's not worry about trying to like, you know, trying to uh, fit pieces onto the puzzle Mm -hmm. just to work, you know, let's, you know, basically kind of look at it like a, look at it. Like there's a clean slate now and the whole roster is going to move. Whitmore, Whitmore, like you said, is also look the physical attributes, the baseline, like how he operates on the baseline, how explosive he is. We haven't had an athlete like that in a very long time. That was someone that explosive. So if you buy the shot, um, and he's a Villanova guy, and the Villanova guys always just seem to have a high floor. And with his athleticism, if, uh, if he's Josh Hart high. with Sadiq Bay's size, you know, and yeah. I don't know, even more athletic, Mikhail Bridges' athleticism, uh, that's that's a hell of a player. Right. It's just a program you buy into, you know. So again, I wouldn't have any concerns over there. One player I wanted to ask about. Mm-hmm. I see that he's kind of rising and I, I mentioned him to you before. So I know like you probably, we've had this discussion to some degree before. Um, Hood Shafino. Yeah. Jalen Hood Shafino. I would not take him if I were the Wizards. Nor would because I don't think he's ready to be a, a point guard right away. Mm-hmm. But he has, I don't think he, they tested his vertical at the combine. Is that right? Not that I saw, but. I, but he has an NBA frame. True. Like I, it, when you see him, you're not mm-hmm. concerned about the frame. You're not concerned about the size. He is built like an NBA player. Mm-hmm. He looks fat, like he's quick. 6'10 wingspan. Yeah, 6'10 wingspan. I don't think you see the on-court explosiveness at the rim because he kind of settles for that like that pull-up jumper a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be... So it's not as like he can't. It's just that's what he settles for. So that's really the one thing I saw. Like The jump shot looks like it projects well. I don't think he'll have a problem shooting, but I also don't think he's going to really know how to play basketball for like one or two years which could be the issue but he also is a good defender so i guess my question to you is sorry just sort of like kind of like diverting a little bit i think he is someone he is like kind of a swing pick but he Mm -hmm. might take one or two years to go so where would you take a player like that if you would take him at all and how long do you think it might take like what could his upside be if it all if it comes through I've got him 21 right now, just for some of the things we talked about. And honestly, that puts him in my tier six. And I don't do tiers the same way everybody else. I just sort of broke them up in where I saw there being a drop off. And I've got really 19 to 30 in this draft being about the same. And if someone took him anywhere in that range, I wouldn't really give them a hard time. And I think that's the point in the draft where it starts to become about fit a little bit more for some of those playoffy teams. So yeah. He's got good size. Uh, it's the it's the Johnny Davis thing where he blew up against Purdue, and that's the big game everybody saw against the top three team where he went just absolutely apeshit. But I, I just can't get him playing Maryland out of my mind. He totally laid an egg and got abused by Jameer Young, who is five nine and a half, yeah, and uh, you know not gonna be an NBA player. And he just didn't know what to do with him. So if you're a a guy people want to be a point guard, but you struggle to guard shifty, quick point guards. Like that's that's problematic to me. I think he fits where the NBA is going. So it's more like the idea. I, I've used this one on the show before, but this is a line that always comes back to me. But in the movie Role Models, the guy that plays McLovin in Superbad says, like someone asked him if he likes diet or likes Coke or whatever. And he says, I like the idea of it more than I like it. <laughs> That's sort of how I feel about Hood Shafino, like a six foot five guy that could presumably be a point guard. Yeah. Great. When I watch him play, it leaves me a little cold personally. Well, let me ask you one, just one follow up and sure. not to divert too much on it. So yeah. the, the first Maryland game, he was awful. Yeah. One for 14. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Then in the conference tournament, he came Better. back eight for 15 mm-hmm. at three blocks, six sure. rebounds, 19 points. Did you notice a difference or was he just on that day? Uh, he was you notice he, a difference in how he played. He was more aggressive and he tried to get better shots, I think. Okay. Just just the first one, I was sitting like the fifth row. So Logistics just watching out. him yeah. up front, he looked <laughs> slow. He looked unathletic. Yeah. Um, he looked kind of lost for most of the game. And it was a lot of like head hanging and stuff. And it's just, it's a freshman that's probably reading too much into it and unfair to not expect him to have like total stinkers. But it, it was just really glaring, like how sort of out of place he looked. Oh, yeah. I get it. I get it. And again, he's someone that I would try to move back into or trade one of your yeah. near expiring rookies to kind of just draft and develop for a year or two. Not someone that I would consider it like at where we're picking right now. Agreed. Yeah. I think there are some of our mutual Twitter followers that are like wanting him at eight. And and that would literally send me into a deep, deep depression. I would be on my 10th surf side <laughs> by the time we finished our draft show. Uh, all right. So Again, tier three essentially here is a Sore Thompson, Nick Smith, Anthony Black, Cam Whitmore. This next one, I've got another four names, and two of them I see as a little bit safer picks, and two of them are just like wild swings, I think. And and I think this group will probably change a little bit. Um, actually, certainly like to one thing you said about Black, and, and I think this applies to Cam Whitmore and Nick and those guys, is they're sort of um, roster agnostic to me. Like everybody mm-hmm. can use a six foot seven on ball creator. Everybody yeah. can use a six foot seven hyper athletic wing. So whatever you do with the roster, whether it's you need a point guard or not, I still think every version of every roster would happily take that kind of guy with the way that yeah. where the league is going. Maybe you could make the same case to some extent for for Taylor Hendricks and Jarris Walker. They're sort of the two power forwards in this draft that get compared a lot. Hendricks out of UCF, Walker out of Houston. I like Kendrick's just a little bit better personally because I, I buy mm-hmm. the shooting more uh, and he's a little bit taller despite them having similar length or similar wingspans, similar standing reach. So uh, I've got them both in this tier. I'm Hendricks nine, Walker 12. At 10, okay. I have Max Lewis out of Pepperdine, which is wildly higher than consensus, but a six foot seven guy with some like some wiggle who can dribble, presumably pass. He was dog shit uh, this year, but their team was awful and he was a turnover machine. But if theoretically long-term you can dribble pass, shoot and defend again, he was a really, really atrocious defender this year, but he has all the physical tools to do it. Right. Pepperdine was a mess. Lorenzo Romar, he just wanted to go back to a school where he coached before and he can be on the beach as he retires. <laughs> and, and that's really it's not a bad what plan. You know, I mean, if you, if you pay, <laughs> I would pay to if, hang out at the beach. Why not? <laughs> if someone wants to offer me that job, I will happily take it. But yeah, I think Lewis has a lot more than he showed. And, and there's always one of those kind of guys that has the tools and people overthink the college production. So, so that's someone I would prioritize. And then I've got Bilal Kulabali. The more I watch Victor Weminyama, the more I'm just like, oh, look at this guy over here. You know, he's six foot seven. He's got elite body control. He's really athletic. I buy the shooting. And I, I truly think that this is a guy, this was a guy, if he went back to school, he's a top three-ish pick next year. So if you can do the Josh Primo and get him a year early yeah. at, at eight, if everyone else I like is gone, if I'm the Wizards, I strongly consider it. Okay. Now with him, how's the on-ball game looking? Has he had much opportunity to do it there? He he doesn't get to do it the same way. Just sort of their roles are very defined. He came right. on a little late and and a lot of his stuff was just like wide open because Victor has so much gravity. And right. uh, But there are also times where he'll put the ball on the floor, shake a guy and 
and you're like, oh, okay. Or he'll like a 15 <laughs> foot pull up. Um, and it's yeah. not every possession, but there's enough there where you think he could scale up to that. And then he's also a guy that will sky for a rebound and take it coast to coast and do this Euro step from the free throw line and like softly reverse lay it in. And you're just like, holy shit. Like, how did he cover? It's like the Giannis, like, how did you get that far without dribbling the ball, without right. traveling, you know? Does he compare to any other prospects from last year? Because he's uh, kind of new. He's kind of someone who got noticed later in the, I wouldn't say later. He started getting, it was a few months ago, but like, as people started watching Victor, they're like, like you said, who's this guy? So is there a comp for him out there? Because I like. Uh, that's a good question. Was, there's like, the, cause, the, there's the late honest, riser every year for sure. Yeah. There's a late riser every year, and it wouldn't surprise me if, again, if you're looking, if he's looking for a home run swing, this could be a home run, uh, if uh, the new front office, this could be that type of home run swing. So, yeah, so it's definitely worth someone like maybe doing a little more homework on and seeing, like, because that could be it, you know? Yeah, like, honestly, like a Benedict Matherin was the guy last year where if he'd have gone the year before, he probably would have been an early second round pick. Maybe someone took him in the late first, and then he worked right. his way into a, a top 10 guy. I think that's like the kind of thing we're talking about here where he's he's actually bigger than Matherin and longer and projects as as probably a better defender, I think. Matherin was kind yeah. of shitty this year, um, honestly. And and he really slowed down after the first 20 games, but that's a guy I loved last year. Yeah. I think that's the kind of dude we're talking about though. Like really athletic, um, can can put the ball on the floor a little bit, also can shoot it and yeah. It's just the kind of stuff this team needs and hasn't had in a long right. time. And all these other guys we talked about, like he's probably more raw than them, but there's he's closer as a shooter. He's closer as a ball handler than some of them. He's closer as a defender than some of them. So th there's less like obvious holes where like this is the huge thing where if he doesn't hit the swing skill, he's a bust. And also it's fine if he's a little more raw now. If yeah. he's accelerating at a faster pace and at, at some of those skills, right? Almost everybody, and and, and Broom and I talked about this again on his most recent so Wizards Pod. If anyone wants to go listen to that, it just why hasn't sort of people caught up to what he did? And Broom's analytical approach to this has Koulibaly two on his board, which I think is oh, is, wow. a, is a little wild. But he put up big, he put up solid numbers in a grown man's league as a young yeah. player and. Uh, he'll be one of the younger people in this draft, and I think that's something to consider. But I think this is just a thing where the narrative hasn't come around on him yet because he was a guy that everybody thought would probably be a 2024 guy. And then it's yeah. like, ooh, well, actually- Wait, he's, he's available now. Yeah, right. So <laughs> could it be Dyson Daniels where he rose you know, late in the draft also, something like that? Not that they're anywhere near the same player, but just like- there's a guy every year that when they get to workouts, people do the, what the, like, who, right. who is this? Exactly. Um, so <laughs> we'll see. Uh, all right. Next year, I've got Colby Jones out of um, Xavier. I just love the guy, like winner. He just does winner things. And mm -hmm. and I'm cool with that. Not the highest ceiling. Similarly, yeah, Chris Murray out of Iowa immediately after that. Same kind of thing. The ceiling isn't that high for either. But once you get out of the lottery or, you know, that kind of range, I think this is where it's just like, can this guy this is where I would start to take the guys that the Wizards have taken the last couple of years at eight. I would start to take them at, yeah. you know, 13 I through could 18. Also see, I, I could also see a Chris Murray going much higher because there is something to to his brother already being sure. in the league, already producing at a high level as a rookie. I do think teams take that type of thing. They take that kind yeah. of like, you know, the bloodlines and all that. Like, we know he could come in and we know he could shoot the ball, right? 
And and he honestly didn't really even shoot that well this year. But I, I think part of this is is the context. Like he didn't have his brother to cover for him. He didn't have Jordan Bohan in the space the floor yeah. around him. The Kings pick at 24. If Chris Murray is on the board at 24, there's no world where they don't take both brothers. Oh, yeah, there's like, absolutely no world. Yeah. That's a, that's a done deal. I think. It'll be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one is wildly higher than consensus. Same deal. Jaime Hawkes, the floor isn't that high. But if you're six foot seven and you just defend the hell out of it, you're tough as shit. You have a nose for the ball, you rebound well. And he's been shooting the shit out of it in workouts, supposedly. I think I always have bought the shot, even though the percentages aren't as good as you'd hope. So you it haven't just, had Case and Wallace yet. I have not had Wallace yet. He's literally uh, the next okay. guy on the list. Um, <laughs> he did, he's not a guy that shot. Wallace is not a guy that shot particularly well in EYBL and shot this year at a much better clip than I think anyone expected him to. And mm-hmm. I think there's a little like Jalen Suggs to it where like Suggs shot a percentage and even his coaches were shocked because he wasn't making those shots in practice and they all went in, in games. And I think that's where college sample size is so tough to say the percentage is what a shooter is like right he doesn't seem to have the greatest touch and he was hit or miss as an on-ball guy and the ball handling is not where i think it needs to be for a guy that people project as a point guard so if he has to be a two guard you know it is he gary payton with a better jump shot and and to me that kind of shit scares me so i, I think like you said earlier with anthony black like the six seven six eight archetype it works because you could put put them anywhere they're not locked into one position right case and wallace may be more locked into one position I, I th- that's um, what i'm worried about at least he is six foot nine so maybe he can guard one through three and and that helps some stuff but you know if he's not on ball it, it makes him a lot tougher of a fit yeah so when i've seen him like he moves and this is going to be a cut like he moves similar to Jeru holiday mm-hmm. he's, he's unreal defensively like i'm just yeah. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from that side of the ball. All my concerns are sort of strictly yeah. offensive. But like Aaron I watched Holiday, a game where he had eight or nine steals in one game, and you're just like, yeah. what the shit is this? <laughs> but also Aaron Holiday kind of moves like Drew Holiday. So. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I, no, but like I see, so you see similar body movements, but I think when you see like a Drew Holiday, you wouldn't say, oh, he has the nice, the tightest handle. Yeah. It kind of takes time to appreciate what Drew mm. Holiday is. That's true. So maybe Kaysen is that type, but also maybe like if he's not, if he can't do everything at the level Drew does, it still took Drew a long time to kind of find his, like he kept, he was expendable and he kept being expendable at different spots until he finally landed at a spot that just worked best for him. But also he's now he's, I think he's, he also did develop as he went along, but you would never say, Oh, look at his on ball package. You know, I think that's not to say Kaysen can be that player, but I think case, you know, but that's, it's a tough, it's a tough mold to say I could be, that player when there's only maybe a couple of those type of players that you can point to as success stories. You know what I mean? I I think he's getting the benefit of the Kentucky bump to some extent here. To me, like he's much closer to like his role in the NBA is much closer to what DeLon Wright does than what Drew Holiday does. That's just my personal opinion. And now that I've said it out loud, it guarantees him a spot in the Hall of Fame someday. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay with me. Um, Yeah. I mean, look, he's someone that I think is a safe pick. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't see him as an exciting pick, and it's and that's why I've got like him a, in that sort of like end of the lottery range. Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's just very kind of plug and play. Oh, here's your guy. We need a point guard. Let's take a point guard. Hopefully, we can get all the pieces to bo- to mesh well together. You want someone at eight that excites you, and yeah, you may personally not like an Anthony Black or a Cam Whitmore or Taylor Hendricks or whoever it is. I, I'm just personally less. Uh, 
excited, um, you know, by by Wallace. Like I, I don't feel it in my loins, you know, when I watch him play. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not just sort of getting that reaction from him. Yeah. Uh, next is Keontae George. I think it's a little bit. They're not remotely the same player, but it's it's the Jaden Hardy theory for me of just like if you're six foot three and all you do is kind of gun. As exciting as that is, I, I just think that that's a more easily, um like available guy in every year's draft. Yeah. So it, it's like, whereas there's like one or two guys that are six, seven ball handlers every year, there's a six foot three guy that can just gun. And that's yeah. usually a player I like to watch. I liked watching George play. I think he shoots the shit out of it, but um, you know, and Hardy fell too far because of percentages against grown men. But uh, I just, I, I personally don't see enough positional value out of George. If, if you're relying on a six foot three guy to be your two guard, we see that with Beal, as good as he is, it does still just sort of limit how you build your roster. I mean, look, he was, like you said, he's he shot a lot and he did not shoot well. Yeah. Um, not as well as, you know, he should shoot for a guy with a jump shot that looks like that. Yeah, and I think you've seen it like the, the fit in the NBA is not as clean because right. when you have a player like that, like you don't make everyone the guy, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't. Yep. There's just not that many the guy roles available. So even okay. the, you, you see the same issue with uh, with Cam Thomas in Brooklyn. That's exactly he, where I was going to go. Yep. When he gets in the game, yeah, he'll score. But basically, he has to be the offense mm-hmm. to play. Yep. And if he's not the offense, then he doesn't really fit onto an NBA floor with four of the players because he's playing one on. He's basically playing one on five when he's out there, you know. Yep. Um, and I don't think George is like George doesn't have like the bill that even a Cam Thomas has, you know. So, right. like this player, like James probably so a better I, athlete though. So he's yeah. got that at least. Yeah, but so Cam Thomas, I think went late first, right? Uh, yeah, twenty seven. And then Jaden Hardy like slipped to the second round. Hardy went thirty one, something like oh, that. Thirty one. So like you yeah. almost wonder if like NBA teams have kind of just don't want, or I mean, they've kind of bucket put that type of player in a certain bucket. They're like. We'll take it, but we'll take it at this spot in the draft yep. because there's not an easy roster fit for that type of player. And there's not like, it also depends on the type of team. Like who's going to give a rookie the ball and just say, this is yours for 20 minutes, mm-hmm. do whatever you have to do. Not many teams are going to do that. You know, like yep. you, look, even it's just because it just doesn't work. And especially in a league that's now, there's more parity now, a team's going to want a guy like an inefficient chucker, you know? Exactly. And, and there is a world where George hits and he becomes this like super is he Anthony Simons, you know, a guy that could score right. 20 points a game um, on, on marginal efficiency. And, and maybe it just, you, you need the right fit for that and the right team to allow you to do that. And I think that's just harder. Similarly with the next guy, I have Gigi Jackson, the youngest player in the draft, unless I'm blanking on somebody, but uh, he's six foot nine and he put up 15 and seven in the sec this year as an, as an underclassed freshman. So he actually reclassified to go to college year early he mm-hmm. was on an absolutely dog shit South Carolina team. Lamont Parrish just said, here's basketball, go do things with it. <laughs> and they were a lot of times worse when he played. Um, but it was him like basically showcasing NBA skills. He dribbles well. Uh, the shooting is inefficient, but he'll also go on a heater for a while. And you have a lot of like, holy shit moments. So yeah, um, at 18, I wouldn't feel as bad about taking the risk. I've I saw a few people advocating for him at eight. That would terrify me because I, I think the bust potential is high there. But I also think he's a high risk, high reward guy. You want to swing for the fences. And I think that's kind of where people, you want to swing for the fences, but you don't want to also like, 
if the bust potential is that high, then maybe you're not really swinging for the fences. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know exactly. if like a better way to say it, like the, but like you're really swinging for the fences. If there is at least like kind of a baseline of skills that mm-hmm. you can already identify, not just have like a total on like, you know, like, like, like just use going back to George, like raw athlete, but when he puts it together, he puts it together, but like, he hasn't put it together. So why would you expect for him to put it together? You almost have to like, you have to see a body of work and then trust that body of work. So it's like when people say home run swing, it's yeah, home run swing, but home run swings like SGA was a home run, like was turned into a home run, like kind of going back to the, the Clippers front office, but he showed some really positives his one year at Kentucky. Um, the volume wasn't all, wasn't there because Mm -hmm. that's kind of how Kentucky plays. You could see the skill set. You saw the skills there and there weren't wild swings, terrible player, good player, terrible, good, terrible, good. It wasn't that it was just, can he scale up? If you watched a highlight reel from him, you know, him dropping 30 on Auburn and stuff like that, it it would be probably as impressive as most of the guys in here. He's a, you know, he'll dribble 15 times between his legs, cross a guy up and hit a 17 foot step back. And you're like, whoa, okay. But his low light reel would probably be as painful to watch as anyone in this draft. So, and that's what you have to watch. Like it's the kind of pivoting, sorry, pivoting sports. Mike Shanahan, I think when he was here, he was notorious for watching the highlights, scouting Mm -hmm. based on the big plays. And I think his thought process was we could, we could coach to those. Yeah. It might work for some guys, but like, look at a Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler's, (laughs) <laughs> Jay Cutler's fantastic throws yeah. were amazing, like yeah. legit amazing. But then he'd throw like four straight balls to D'Angelo Hall and he'd be like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, that's honestly exactly where he is. I mean, it, it's the Alexei Pokashevsky kind of thing here. Right. Like the, right. the idea of him is, is again, really uh, sort of interesting, I think. Yeah. Sorry, my Alexa is talking to me in the background. She loved hearing <laughs> Alexi Pokashevsky. I think she thought I was talking about her. So let's see if she chimes in again. But um, th- that's picks 13 through 18 there. Again, Colby Jones, Chris Murray, Jaime Hawkes, Kaysen Wallace, Keontae George, Gigi Jackson. And then 19 to 30, I'm going to rapid fire these off. So this isn't a four-hour podcast. But Grady Dick, Jed Howard, Jalen Hood-Chefino, Leonard Miller, Jordan Hawkins, Brandon Pajemski, Marcus Sasser, Derek Lively, Derek Whitehead. Kobe Bufkin, Bryce Sensabon, Noah Clowney. So that's sort of it. That's the first round. And, and we'll spend some more time on any of those guys that people want to hear more about as we get closer to the draft. So I have one quick question on that. Sure, I think Lively um, was a top high school guy, right? Yep. Okay. How many of those top high school guys who end up slipping? I don't know if anyone's ever done this. Like, look End up this. good. End up good. Because yeah. you always say, oh my God, this guy was number one in the class. We got him here. Have any of those guys ever turned out good? Yeah, I think I think some of them end up really good. Um, and, and this is really the entire theory that Oklahoma or no, let's say sorry, Golden State has had for drafting guys uh, under under this last regime, essentially under Bob Myers. Like we took um, we you know they went in and they said um, Jonathan Kaminga was a top ten recruit who reclassified and and went a year early to G League Ignite, essentially. Yeah. Um, they went and took Patrick Baldwin, who had a terrible college season, but they said like, Hey, let's take a shot at it. Moses Moody was a, another five-star recruit. Like it, that's been their theory. James Wiseman obviously was, didn't have a great college career over his three games or whatever that was, but he was the number one guy coming in. So there's plenty of those guys where they end up being pretty darn good after having like marginal, um, college careers. Like even yeah. a BJ Boston is one of them where I think. 
if he'd have been the seventh pick, you'd think he's underwhelmed. But if he falls to yeah. 50, you know, that that becomes a, a steal at a certain point. Zaire Williams is another one. Jaden McDaniels is one. He was terrible as a yeah. as a freshman at Washington. And I think there's a world where he ends up a really good NBA player uh, and, and always really liked him. So it's a mixed bag. And, and I think at a certain point in the draft, you'll deal with that. To me, I just, I'm not as interested in taking a center, especially in that range, because it, yeah. again, mostly for me, it's these guys in this range become more specialists because I don't think they play multiple positions. Grady Dick doesn't play multiple positions to me. Uh, Jordan Hawkins doesn't play multiple positions to me. Right. So that that's kind of why I pushed these guys into this tier. They're all sort of like one one lane kind of guys for me. Yeah, which makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, and I think even kind of going back to that, the the, the question I had, the Warriors young players will probably argue that they needed more opportunity. Yep. But you could probably argue like, hey, they've kind of developed because they've been around good players. So sure. it's also like, what do you have in place? Is that the right environment for the, for that type of player who needs to figure things out again? Mm -hmm. So it's just like, you know, it's a tough one. But like you said, take, like you want to kind of want to remove that risk too high, like in the, in the high part of the lot or in the lottery. Exactly. And then maybe in the second round is when you do it. And then late first is kind of when you still just get someone who just, just knows how to play at least something. Like comes with some certain skill set to the to the table, you know. Twenty to forty in this draft, I don't think there's going to be much separation. To be honest with you, I just did through thirty here because I it's a mind boggling to me to to put sixty guys in in real order. But yeah, uh, anywhere after twenty essentially is kind of for me. It was nineteen it is like in the same sort of eh. You know, you can make a case for any of them, especially if you need a particular skill set. So I think that's gonna where we're at here. If you need a big guy that can block some shots or if he's available for the Wizards at 41, there's no way that happens with Lively. I bet you he actually ends up close to the lottery, if not in the lottery. Uh, he's been shooting the shit out of it. Friend of the show, Raphael Barlow was the first one to tweet that out. He destroys mm -hmm. jumpers and workouts and he showed none of that at Duke this year. So yeah, um, if you're now six foot seven shot blocker, he's not really a great athlete. He's just big and long. Uh, but if he shoots it, I, I think someone will sell themselves on you know, taking right. him earlier. Okay. So we'll see. Uh, for anybody not clued in on this yet, I think I've talked about this on previous pods where we talk draft stuff, but we will be doing a live draft show on draft night. We're going to do it uh, through StreamYard, I think, which allows you to post it directly to Twitter. So there'll be a feed and we'll share that from the, my account, uh, Believe in Wizards account, and we'll retweet it from the Bulls Forever account and also go directly onto our YouTube page. So uh, we'll see if we do the full Believe YouTube page or a one for Believe in Wizards specifically and, and kind of figure it out from there. But follow along with us in real time during the draft. Um, Oz is, is maybe, uh, maybe I'm going to talk him into it here. We'll, we'll see how much draft footage he wants to dive into. Uh, but at the very least, we'll, we'll have um, Damo from Wizards of Gallery Place and, and um, Kevin Broom from Bulls Forever and So Wizards Podcast kind of talking draft. Uh, Oz, I think that's all I got for you here today, man. Anything else? No, it's like, you know, um, all I got, like, you know, I got to dive into, dive into footage, dive into more draft footage, do a little more studying, um, and just overall, just like kind of just excitement about where this might go yep. with the Wizards. It is fun. Like you've been, we've been talking, oh, they're going to sign Kuzma. They're going to sign Porzingis. Like, what are they going to do? We're really, and it's, it is interesting. Like, um, things happen, don't happen and then happen very quickly. Mm -hmm. So right now we're at the beginning of June. Michael Winger will probably, you know, introduce your press conference maybe next week sometime. Who knows yeah. when? But like after a period of such a long period of inactivity, 
things are going to fly for the next like month and a half. And then all of a sudden just wrap up and then they'll kind of go off the grid after summer league again. And it's good. It's going to be fun. It's going to be, there's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about a lot of that that, to digest and interpret. Um, I'm viewing it as like, you know, kind of a clean slate. Let's see where it goes. So, and uh, you know, it'll be nice. I think with the, (laughs) it'll be nice with the new GM where, I can't imagine a scenario where people are just like living at the pick they want, right. you know, yeah, you just see it, play it out, so. play out and go from there. And, you know, in terms of the draft, definitely hope to join you guys. Little league's almost out of the way. There you know, you that's almost, almost done. We got our playoff game on Wednesday. We are the two seed. We're playing yeah, the three seed. There you go. So, you know, we got that coming up and then AU rip their hearts from their chest while they're still beating. Yeah. Um, you know, like hopefully eight, you know, eight, nine-year-olds on there and are crying at the end of the game. And that, that means good things for us. You haven't done your job if that's not the case. <laughs> uh, awesome, man. Thank you. Um, I agreed. I, I think just some hope for the future and that everything is potentially on the table this summer makes it probably one of the more, you know, exciting off seasons in recent memory at the very least. So everybody stick with us. If you're not already subscribed, please go and do that. That makes it easy. Uh, that way I don't have to retweet it out and you're not relying on that to see when we post episodes, especially with the schedule being a little, uh, more in flux over the summer here. So they'll show up right in your feed. You don't have to listen to them. If, uh, you see this one and it's two hours long, you know, you have that option, but, uh, just, yeah, stay tuned. We're going to have some cool content for you coming here and, and bolts forever. As I appreciate you as always folks, uh, leave us a review if you like what you hear and as always we're presented by betonline.ag and we will catch you next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube